to another Britflix post Frightfest uh, podcast. Today I've got with me Ian Softley. Hello Ian. Hi, hello. Right, well Britflix audience will, uh, will, will may know Ian for uh, for a few other well-known films. Uh, it's, is it, I think it's your first feature film was Backbeat, the, uh, the sort of Hamburg-based Beatles story. It was. Yeah. And uh, weirdly, 20 years ago <laughs> you did a film called Hackers, which is now enjoying its 20th anniversary, which people may well know about. The f- I mean, first film, first feature film for Angelina Jolie, I think, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah. Indeed. And uh, jumping along, uh, Skeleton Key is having its 10th anniversary. Yeah. I think. Is that is that, is that right as well? It is, yeah. A pic- uh, Picture House is screening that in the central London cinema. Fantastic. That's great news. I mean, it's one of, yeah. that's certainly one of my favourites of, uh, yeah. of your um, of your canon. Um so yeah, so uh, and we're talking about we've got you on the sh- on the, on the podcast to talk about Curve, a film that you showed at Frightfest in back in August. Um, yeah. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis about Curve? Uh, yeah, I'm always confused with giving synopsis because I always try and not give anything away at all. Want to uh, try, re- try reviewing it? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> when I read when I read reviews and trailers and even the blurb in in, uh, in programs, they basically say the story. Okay, right. Um, it's about a um, a girl. It's really about female empowerment. It's a woman who's travelling across the desert in America on on taking a sort of a taking her time to mm. arrive at her wedding. Uh, so we gather by the fact she's taking her time that, that maybe she's perhaps even subconsciously having second thoughts about it. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, she meets various um, uh, various sort of uh, terrors and uh, uh, perils along the way um, in, in, in the course of which, uh, uh, in the course of overcoming, she sort of grows and, 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 and strengthened and maybe reevaluates whether she wants to get married to the guy she's engaged to at all. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a Bloomhouse production, and, and for those that maybe haven't been following sort of trends in cinema, Bloomhouse, uh, was, I guess, was born out of the success of Paranormal Activity for Jason Bloom and has since given us sort of franchises such as Insidious and The Purge today, but few, but also... Blue Mouse were one of the producers on Whiplash last year, one of the Oscar yeah. nominee films. So there's, 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 you know, and I think, I think in in a kind of general sense, certainly from a genre audience, there's a sense of there's a there's a Blue Mouse formula that, that they seem to know. And I, I mean, from my point of view, I just always thought of that as being they're successful. But it was interesting listening to yourself when you talked to your screenings that actually it was you you kind of went into it thinking, right, okay, Jason, you tell me what, what we do with a Blue Mouse film, and I'll go ahead and do it. But in reality, it was much different than that, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think that there is a, um, in a number of areas, there's a formula, which okay. is okay. to um, to sort of speed up the process of getting films greenlit. Um, and, the, you know, the way they do that is to is to make everything for price. I think $4 million is the absolute, $4 million is the absolute maximum. Okay. Um, okay. And in doing that, um, obviously, it means that the money uh, comes through, they're, they're greenlit more quickly, you don't have to have a certain level of cast, all of which is very appealing to a filmmaker. And, and on top of that, a filmmaker is... Um, uh, uh, you know, given a lot of creative control. Um, in my case, I had Final Cut. Oh, and okay. uh, you're also, you know, you make it for scale. Everybody, all the heads of department make it for scale, which means, you know, the minimum that you're legally allowed to be paid. Um, and but, but, but you actually get some meaningful um, sort of participation, uh, to use the, the, the industry term. In, in other words, you know, you'll, you'll get a, a small percentage of the profits if it goes into profit so in a way you're kind of invested in it so it's so that's really to you know the model now they they have a group of people they have a sort of staff who are you know who who sort of are very um uh who, who are very good at working within the parameters of the budgets but a lot of the a lot of the big calls you know like how do you do the visual effects, the special effects sequences, of which there were quite a few mm. in Curve, you know, huge uh, flash flood in a ravine, um, cars falling over cliffs, cars sinking into lakes. 
um, you know, how do you, how you, how you actually achieve that is really, um, down to the expertise of the department heads and the director. Um, so in my case, I actually had, and, 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 and this is, this is, uh, you know, quite usual in the Blumhouse way, if you like. Yeah. Um, I had uh, very experienced heads of department, um, who were sort of encouraged to do the project sort of for the same reason that I was, which is that, you know, it was, you know, they, 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 they were very quick to be green lit. And, um, and at the same time, they got some, you know, some small sort of participation if the film went into profit. Yeah. So I had, I had designers and, and special effects guys and, uh, uh, you know, first assistant directors and, and, and a DP who's, you know, his credits included films like, you know, um, Thin Red Line, um, uh, The Wrestler and Noah with Aaron Aronofsky, you know, Darren Aronofsky. So it was really, I think that, that part of what he does, um, it's certainly in my case, and this isn't, the, this, I don't think this was the case for Whiplash, but, but certainly a lot of these films that require, you know, quite a lot of expertise in order to, you know, people that know all the tricks, if you like, yeah. and, and how you, how you focus your resources in the most, in the most effective way. Um, but I think everybody still felt they were, you know, they were, you know, they were sort of skating on thin ice in terms of what was, you know, what was actually possible. Um, uh, I, I was confronted by pretty much every department head saying, you know, how are we going to do this? I mean, you know, it, it, this is crazy. You know, there's not enough money to do this. So everybody just sort of knuckles down. Um, and I suppose he sort of created that spirit, you know, that can do spirit, um, in the company. Um, and everybody's also motivated by the idea that, you know, that he does have, um, a track record of, you know, success in getting, in getting the films out there to an audience. Okay. Okay. And, 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 and it's, when, when you say you, you, when you say you're sort of confronted with people going, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Is this, is this, is this you on set and you, and you shoot no, a movie or is this, this is this is, in the pre-production period is, where it's kind of, I mean, I, I never, I never go on. So, I mean, it's sort of one of the, Things I've always done since my first film is, is that I always I don't want any anything that isn't planned and and anything that we don't think we can do in pre-production it's never going to be sorted out on the set. Okay. You know, you you if 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 it doesn't look possible on paper, it's not going to look possible on the set. So you have to confront or cut script the script or find different ways of doing it, and I'll I'll never go onto the set without anything that I think is achievable. Um, and, uh, you, you know, because that, that's just, uh, um, you know, that's, that, that way ruin lies, you know. No, indeed, indeed. I guess, I guess if you, if you, if you don't plan, you plan to fail, don't you, at the same yeah. time? Um, so, so you, you came in at this, this was a finished script when you came on board with this. What, what, what? Well, it, it actually, it actually wasn't. I, okay, I, uh, okay, sorry. No, I, I worked with Lee Patterson in London because Lee right, okay. was, was based in London. Yeah. Um, so there were two writers, his original, uh, writer, Kimberly, mm-hmm. um, and then, um, Lee came on, uh, he'd already come on when I was, um, uh, when I was approached to do it. Um, and there were certain changes that I wanted to it. Um, and, uh, and also just trying to get the script into a more streamlined form. Yeah. To make, you know, to make it more achievable. So we actually worked probably for about a month in London while I was waiting for my visa to come through. Um, uh, you know, and I was able to use that time. And I actually did a lot of my sort of my casting, um, on Skype or, or down or, or via video conferencing. Oh, right. Um, right. Yeah. That's how I first met Julianne Huff in the sort of a life size screen in the CAA offices in Hammersmith. And, and how and how did that work compared to the usual? I, I assume face to face. Well, there's a, there's a advantages and disadvantages. I mean, the 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 um, the disadvantages is you don't really sort of get to know the person. Um, you know, if it's just a single if it's a single sort of meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you're actually looking at is you're looking at them on a screen when they're doing their audition. So you're actually. Okay. 
you're actually excluding all the other sort of, you know, social interaction and you're just evaluating how, how they, how they're looking at their performance. So in that sense, it can actually be very focused. Um, and as far as sort of, you know, building up a relationship with Julianne, uh, you know, we cast her quite early and then she very kindly sat in on a lot of the auditions for Christian. So I got sort of got to know her over Skype and uh, and over and over this sort of you know very big life life size uh, video conferencing facility. So by the time I actually met her in the flesh in Los Angeles, we, we both said it, it's like we kind of knew each other already because we, I think we'd sort of had about six different casting sessions over over the screen. We'd had I'd had phone conversations and then we'd we'd hooked up to have conversations. You know, if, I, if it's in our in, in our in our homes, so as sort of you know the preparation. Um, yeah, it's interesting you say that because because when you do when you do an audition, you kind of sat in a room, aren't you? So you can see that the whole context of the room is what you see. It's not till you go back and watch the recording of the rehearsal that you see what they look like on screen. Whereas I guess yeah. what you're saying is that's all that happens is you're seeing someone framed by a screen. Yes. Yeah, so there's a so in that sense, it's an advantage. Yeah, 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 I can see. Uh, which was kind of interesting. And I know that I think it was, um, you know, in the early days when he was just directing, I think um, um, Luc Besson would only audition on via via tapes because he wanted to just see the just see the screen. I mean, I, I for me, it's very important the sort of, you know, the person that you've got to work mm. with because you know, particularly if it's something that's demanding, Physically, um, which, you know, both of these roles were, you, 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 you want, you want to know that you've got somebody who's sort of gonna, you know, gonna sort of, you know, be a, be a team player, if you like, um, uh, and that, uh, um, you know, the attitude is gonna be right all the way through, even when things get very tough. Now, now for, for, for the, for the layperson listening, when you say you, you're working as the director on, on the script with Lee, how does that? How does that? How does that work in a sense? You know, it's like, what are you? Are you? Are you sort of saying this is what I want? Go ahead and do it, or are you saying here's something, put it in? Uh, it's different with with different writers and okay. on, on the on the relationship. Um, and I think you know, I think you start with with sort of notes, and and if a particular script is in pretty good shape, you you identify and 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 you're talking about you know, the, the, the beats in the scene and, 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 and if there's something that you think should be changed on the page, you're saying, well, I think, you know, because he, because you're saying it this way, it's giving that impression that's moving the scene in this direction, whereas actually he should be saying something more like this. So you don't, you know, uh, that, when you get down to the micro level, I think that's the sort of detail that, that you go into. I mean, you can definitely say, um, you know, uh, Look, look, the seat. We need to sort of cut this scene. And then, if there's a change, if there's something, you know, I think we we would we would talk through the action in something. You know, like like the sort of the scenes with Ella and the phone ringing. Hmm. You know, how would that work? And would she, would he? You know, at what point would she hear her? And would would Christian hear the answer? And what would he kind of thing would he say? Or maybe there's sort of there are procedural things like. You know, is it believable or how long should she wait before she discovers this? And then maybe that would have, so you're actually, sometimes you get into little plot, little plot solutions. If you've got something that you think, well, I'm getting from A to B is not quite working. Mm-hmm. Then you just, you talk through yourself, working out, working out this little story bits, little, little story sections. Okay. Saying, you know, what, what's gonna, what's gonna happen here? Um, I mean, you know, I was working on a script recently. There's a case in point where, um, uh, you know, we wanted somebody to know that um, that 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 they were that, that, that their wife was expecting a baby it was seen with a sheriff, where it was very significant in terms of trying to work out the, what was happening in the crime. Mm. But we didn't want we wanted it to make sense retrospectively, so we didn't want the audience to know at that moment. So we had we had the father because he was a farmer in the fifties in America. We had him sort of um, uh, doing some uh, sort of carpentry and, and 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 making the series of spindles that we only found out later on that that was that he was making a, a, a cot a crib. Um, so you know, and that was something that absolutely came out of a discussion between me and the writer. We were kind oh, okay. of so I think that. You know, I think that the the majority of it is all, is all there, but but when you're when the director comes on, usually you're sort of 
it's it's almost like the sort of the fine cut of the script, and you're going in in micro detail um, because it's you know it's often those things that are the difference between it you know being really sort of successful to an audience or not. So it's like so it's like getting to grips with always getting to grips with intent all the time, and so you so you're clear about how you show that as opposed to anything else. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, so when you when you're going into when you were going into that sort of pre-production stage, then with all the kind of technical and 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 resource-heavy elements of it, where you've got to sort of, I guess cut the cake accordingly um, and get get the most out of it. What 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 on the page then seemed seemed the most sort of insurmountable or challenging, and and then what were the what were the ways that you got around that the, the sort of constraints of resource and finance to achieve what you wanted. Yeah, well, the first thing that we realized is that we sort of had to, um, you know, where were we going to make the film? Because okay. a lot of it takes place in the, in the sort of, you know, the wilderness. Um, and there's a gully and there's, you know, all this, these sort of things. But a lot of things you would normally, if it was a studio film, you would make on the, on the sound stage, on the stage to sort of have more control and make it easier. But, but we, we worked out that if we could find a location that gave us everything, um, you know, that roads nearby and, 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 and a, there's a cabin, there's a river, ravine, there's a lake. And we found somewhere, the, the, the designer and the location a scout found somewhere that we reckoned we could do everything. And the things that we couldn't do, we could build like a sort of a little warehouse studio to do some of the, you know, some of the other um, special effects moments. Okay. Uh, so we actually did everything about an hour and a half north of Los Angeles in the, in the Angeles forest, which is sort of, you know, uh, uh, kind of quite a, quite a wilderness, um, uh, um, you know, out, out in, out in California, um, and built, you know, it, like a little tank for the, for, for some of the water stuff, but there was a lake there and we did a lot of it actually really in the lake. Um, so, so we did lots of it on the real location, which I think, you know, sort of added to sort of atmosphere. Well, it certainly get, get adds to the look and feel of it. You yeah. Know, that, that sense of being outside when... But it was also just to minimise the amount of time that we were, we, were, we were packing up the trucks and packing up the the um, the base and moving somewhere else because you can lose half a day at least, if not a day, every time you move. So it was because we only had like a... You know, in that budget, we had like a 20-day shoot. Wow. So... Um, uh, uh, and there were five, day, you know, five-day weeks. So... So we were, um, we were sort of just trying to be very, very efficient. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing, so you work out an efficient way of where you're going to do it. Um, and I guess that's a sort of the big broad brush approach. And then the second element is to, is to storyboard very closely, um, anything that's a, um, uh, a special effects sequence. Okay. Um, and so for example, the, the car crashing over the cliff. Um, so you can, you can break down each shot. Into into what what's needed and where it needs to be shot. Mm. How much of it can be done on a real road? How much is a stunt driver? How much are the real actors in the car? How much are sort of uh, are the real actors in a car but on a rig somewhere? Um, you know all of that. And, and and you know there were a number of sequences like that. For example, also the um, uh, the um, uh, the car being flooded and washed down the ravine and then being drowned in the lake and, and her coming out the lake. So all of that, you know, had to be had to be broken down. So and 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 you have production meetings um, with all the relevant parties. You know, the the DP, the designer, the um, the, the special effects. Um, the uh, you know the props people that provide the cars, working out you know how how we're going to rig the car, um, how we, where we're going to rig the where we're going to rig the um, the camera, the stunt guys, you know what sort of stunt arrangements they'll make. Uh, so it's very very you get into very big very sort of technical detail, and you, you're just those scenes are approached like a jigsaw, and you know what each single piece is going to be, and they're often split between different shoot days. So that you'll have, you know, to give it the reality, you'll have certain scenes that involve the actors with, you know, driving and, and they'll do a certain amount of acting of impact and crashes and things. Okay. Uh, and then you'll have them in a controlled situation where the car is on a rig and they'll be acting and then you'll have certain stunt driver sections. So it, it's, it's really just a question. It's the same for all films, but, you know, for something that's more, um, that has more special effects, then that approach is obviously more important. 
Yeah, so, so what you're saying is it's like the, the, the storyboarding of it allows you to almost draw a timeline of how you practically capture that moment of the storyboards. And it might yes. be that three quarters yeah. of that storyboard is the one that is obviously the drivers in the car, and then a, th- a quarter of it becomes a stunt yeah, driver having it. to do something. You divide it up into sort of, you know, you can even colour code it. Okay, these we're doing on this day when we're in this set, and those yeah. are doing for real, you know, and this we're doing with stunt guys. And so it's all split out and scheduled. Um, in different ways. And sometimes, you know, you're finding when you're doing the, when you're doing the, um, the, the driving with the actors, for example, or you're doing, and I had this with, with, um, Kate Hudson on Skeleton Key, uh, that she was actually happy to do a lot more, you know, crashing cars around and spinning them in, in flooded swamps than we thought. Because you always, you always make, as I said earlier, you always make provision for the, the, the way that you know you can achieve it. And, and so sometimes on the set, you can do more, but you never go in there expecting that. And then that's, and then that's, a bonus. then that's a bonus on the day. And, and Julianne, you know, particularly was somebody who was prepared to do sort of a lot more than we thought she was going to be, be prepared to do. Um, uh, which was, which was, you know, I, I actually don't know how we could have made the film, to be honest, without, without an actress who was who was that amenable and and able to spend as much time in you know physically very demanding situations and it was her training as a dancer that enabled her a to sort of have the mental approach that you know that you 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 spend 10 10 hours a day in physically demanding situations, you know, because dancers, you know, sort of train crazy schedules and they, you know, they get up early, they're working every day and they've done it all their life, you know, often since they were kids. So, you know, that approach was very, very, um, was very sort of important, but also just her sort of, her physical, um, uh, her physical sort of uh, training um, enabled her to sort of be in, you know, in those demanding positions um uh, uh with more comfort than somebody that wasn't as sort of um you know his body wasn't as, as trained as hers so what what were some of the aspects of it where where julianne says no i can do your way you've gone in with your minimum expectation and then you've started to shoot and she's gone no it's all right i'm all right with that so i mean for example uh, well, it's for example swimming out of the sinking car in the freezing actually freezing lake you really? Know. Yeah, uh, wow. we did that with the stunt person first, yeah. and and then Julian said, "I can do it, I can do it," and everybody was looking at each other like the you know the sort of the medics because the <laughs> stunt girl the stunt girl came out and she was blue, <laughs> you know, and Julian said, "I can do it, I can do it, I can do it." So we said, "Okay," you know, and we had divers really nearby, and she she did it. Um, so, um, but also the driving, she was able to, you know, she was actually driving a, a free driving the car in the driving sequences on very, very tricky, narrow hairpin, hairpin roads with two cameras strapped to the car. So that her visibility was really limited, you know, one in front of her face on the bonnet and the other out the window, um, making it, you know, making the whole thing wider. Um, so that was, that saved us a huge amount of time. We thought we were going to have to do a lot more of the car stuff you know, against green screen. Um, but we were actually able to do it for real. And was that something that, was that a conversation on set then that happened? Where she was so well, she, I actually, I, again, I'd, I'd had this experience with, with, with Kate Hudson. So yeah. I, I talked to everybody and I said, look, and I had an inkling that she was going to be that, because I talked about it. And I said, you know, what's your driving like? And she, you know, she'd grown up in the, in Utah, in the mountains, mm. uh, actually in Park City, where, where, where Sund- the Sundance Film Festival is, is, is set. And she said that, you know, she was driving from the age of about 12 or something, I don't know, you know, on, 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 on private ranches and stuff. Um, and that she was very used to sort of, you know, driving trucks and tractors and the rest of it. And, and she was a really, really confident, you know, comfortable driver. And again, like, you know, Kate, Kate was as well. And I said to people, I said, look, we might find that she's like, you know, Kate, in which case we're, we're going to be able to do a lot more with her driving because you have to be, also satisfied that you know that 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 she's gonna you know that, that she's gonna be uh competent enough to safeguard you know the uh the the people that are in the vehicle with her it's not just her and the other actor but there was about three of us in the back of the 
car so that you know if, if 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 she goes over the cliff then that's five people or four people she's taking with her um, that would so be a horror film just out of self-preservation I, I needed to be very satisfied that she was you know she knew what she was doing and she, and she, and she absolutely did so Anna, i mean i'm fascinated only because if, if it was no matter how well trained i was as an actor which i'm not that's not what i'm suggesting i'm still not sure i could i could li- i could lie there while rats walk around me yeah. How, how, do you, how do you how does that conversation start? I mean, I'm it's on the page. So. You know, she you, she's read, she read the script and she said, "Look, I'm prepared. I know this this role is going to require me to sort of you know go into sort of positions of real sort of really unpleasant and and, and uncomfortable." Um, and she says, "I'm I'm really prepared to do that because I want to." You know, she wanted to live through as much of the real physical hardship as mm. the character was undergoing in order to be able to, you know, to play those, that role, um, as authentically as possible. So a lot of the time, you know, she's not acting, she's actually in, you know, physical pain or she's, you know, she's having to do unpleasant things, you know, having rats over her eating sort of flesh and, and the rest of it. Um, so, uh, and being thrown around in fights and, and and things like that, so she wanted she wanted to sort of feel it as much as possible, so that it could be real and, and to make the performance authentic. Uh, and I remember driving in um, the day that we were doing the rats. I was like, oh dear, this is the rat day, and uh, um, and I knew that she was sort of not that keen. Uh, and I'm not, you know, like a lot of people, I suppose, I'm not that keen either. But I just, it just occurred to me that what I probably should do was handle the rats first myself. So the first thing I did, I got on set and I picked a couple of them up and I had them on my shoulder and, uh, and then, and then sort of handed them to Julianne. And, and actually it was sort of quite a good thing to do because myself and the camera were very close to the car. Hmm. You know, we were almost in it with her, and everybody else was sort of. It was almost like we were in this bubble for you know for for for, for a few weeks, um, and the and the rats kept. You know, there was probably about six of them um, throughout the day that were all crawling in and around the cab of the car and over her, and at least and there was a, there was only one animal handler, or maybe there were two animal handlers, but often we would lose a rat, and you know, you if me and the camera, we would see it scurrying by, we'd just pick it up and throw it back, throw it back. Nah. <laughs> You're naturally in. You're a natural. In. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't sort of volunteer to do that uh, <laughs> if I had to. Now, at the other extreme, on, on in terms of your cast, you've got Teddy Sears playing somebody who, where 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 Julianne clearly has got a back a backstory and a, and a future story that we that we fully understand, so we can appreciate her predicament and her development as a character within the movie. Teddy's character is a little more kind of hard edged, isn't he? He's yeah. he, he's got he's got a plan that's right now at the moment, and that's the bit we're living in for him. Yeah. How do you go about? I mean, what was your, what was your, well, there, was, what was your there was your... debate? There was debate about you know how much background we 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 created, and we did discuss you know a certain amount of background um, in that you know it was obvious that he had uh, a very sort of um, disciplinarian you know, maybe sort of evangelical father mm. and that he was subject, but he was also very, very intelligent. And we talked about, you know, what, what job he might've had and that he would have been, edu- you know, he was educated and articulate, which is obviously what drew her in, in the first place. Of course. Yeah. Um, but, but, that you know, my explanation all the time with people saying, well, you know, well, 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 what about, what about, what about, I mean, you know, where did that come from? Why, you know, what drew, what, drove him to this and the thing that resonates with me is the number of times when you when you hear about you know people that uh, are you know murderers in particular their neighbors say he was the most ordinary kind normal person i don't know where it came from and it's just that idea that he's sort of that that force if you like um that 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 sort of malevolent force who, who, who ironically pushes her to sort of grow more as a person um but also um, he himself, in his, you know, his delusion, if you like, his sort of sociopathic delusion, is that, is that there's a justification to everything that's being done because, because the, because he doesn't do anything that isn't, that, that he doesn't force, the, he doesn't force the situation at any point. 
Yeah, he's, he's a bit like Diceman, isn't he, in kind of his logic. It's like if it falls into his lap, then it must be fate, yeah. so to speak. Yes, exactly. And that uh, and the, and the, he gives her the option not to go down that road on a number of occasions. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. chooses it means that in some way, you know, may, maybe it's meant to happen and that he's a sort of a, that he's not the, 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 he's not the sort of the perpetrator of the situation at all, that he is, that he's an agent in it. Um, and that, and that it must be, you know, that there must be a pattern to it. So, I mean, you know, for people that, that want a sort of, uh, a backstory, that, that's sort of what it is. I mean, to me, and I, to you, I think that's enough. I think, I think horror films spoil yeah. themselves by trying to tell you that the reasons why someone's doing it, when in fact the horror for Ju- Julianne's not interested one bit. Her character is no. what, why he's doing it. It's just no. it's the getting out and getting free, isn't it? Is. Yeah, exactly. And and then, like you said, I never thought of it. In a way, in a way, his his cruelty is is <laughs> if you looked at it like with a with a silver lining, it, it, it could almost be like the his was the toughest of love, wasn't it? He made her into this the character she becomes. Yes, yes. With, yeah. You know, hopefully, hopefully, not giving too much away by saying that. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you you said I mean. Uh, so when when you're cast when you're casting him, what are you looking for there? Because obviously, I mean, well. Well, looking for, you know, and I think different people sort of, uh, you know, will have different views on this because it's, it's sort of, you sort of got to go with the convention. You got to go with, you know, well, you know, don't go into the basement. Well, you wouldn't have a film if they didn't go to the basement. Of course. Um, so, uh, so, so, you know, that, that the, he has to be somebody who seems to be the antithesis in a very, very good way of everything that her fiance is. That he has all the positive qualities that, um, that counteract the negative qualities that we're learning that her fiance has. Mm-hmm. That he's non, he's non-materialistic. Um, you know, he's, he's sort of, uh, he's a very simple sort of, um, uh, you know, he's not a city boy. He's, 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 he's kind of a, he's from the, he's from the, he's from the country, the back country, but he's a sort of, you know, he's, he's almost got a kind of a natural morality and purity to him is how she sees him, you know, a little bit like, you know, Brad Pitt and Thurman Louise. Mm. Um, yeah, and, he's not, and he's not without sophistication, is he? He's not, he's not like... Not a without man. sophistication. He's generous, you know, he's, 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 he's non-threatening, he's, gen- he's gently witty, he's physically strong and attractive. He's got to be the sort of person that a girl who's like, you know, sort of, open to sort of taking risks if you like which um you know which we know his sister is from from having had conversations on the phone with his sister um and you, you know that he had to be somebody like that but at the same time somebody who could who could show that darker side at the same time so that he's almost like looks like a kind of perfect gentleman and not a stereotypical um villain yeah he's not a hunchback killer is he no <laughs> Right then. Uh, well, I mean, for me, I was, I, and, I, and I sent you my review before we, we spoke about about it. And I just, just, just to get, I'm not going to go into any spoilers, but certainly one of the things that struck me was it was having read Rock and a Hard Place and seen Danny Boyle's 127 Hours. It was almost like we, in the way this film plays out, obviously with, apart from where the finale goes, which obviously is a different a different approach altogether. Is you've done like the horror version of it, really? Yeah, the second act is. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Sort of like with a sort of a Knight of the Hunter adversary. Yeah. Um, so that it's not just nature and survival, but there's also a cat and mouse. Well, the, ta- the taunting and the teasing is, 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 is like, um, like real emotional violence. I mean, a friend of mine said this, he was describing Locke to me before I watched it, and he yeah. said it's full of emotional violence. And I, I wasn't quite sure what till I watched it. And I think you've got a lot of that down pat in this as well, in the sense of this isn't about people's, you know, in, in the torture porn cartoon sense, this is about you having somebody's life in your hands and showing them you have. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and saying to them, okay, now you, now, now prove your worth uh, uh, as to why you should survive and to ha- and, and it's in your own hands. Getting out of that situation is in your own hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's almost like she, she's a lab rat for him on some level. No, no, that's definitely what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, what's 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 next then for Curve after after it being shown at Fright Fest last month? Uh, well, it's sort of um, there's a couple of festivals that it's been invited to, you know, other sort of um, genre festivals. Uh, so we'll we'll sort of see 
you know, I think the idea is just to sort of uh, is 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 to let it play out, is to let the festival thing play out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there was, uh, and then uh, you know, hopefully, you know, a limited theatrical window um, uh, before it, you know, goes the um, uh, becomes available VOD. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, look, uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll put some we'll put some links in the show notes to sort of um, Blue Mouse and where it, you know the, where the film is built and follow news and everything. If you don't already subscribe to Ritflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Now, like I said, like I said in the opening, this, 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 you're not just dealing with a, a new film this year. You've got the 20th anniversary of Hackers, um, yeah, which yeah. has sort of. I'm, as, I mean, has it? I mean, I, I wasn't aware. Of, I mean, I was aware of the kind of 20 year anniversary news, but I wasn't aware of of this kind of the growing affection that it clearly has got with the fans of it. Um, well, Mark, Mark Commode has been an amazing supporter of it, you know, okay. over the years. Well, right from the beginning, actually. Right, he, you know, put his neck out at, went on release and right. said, you know, and, and, and was a big supporter of it. And Nigel Floyd at Time Out as well. Um, and you know, I, I knew because we showed at the London Film Festival when it when it when it came out that there was a sort of there was an audience which was first of all sort of people in their sort of fifteen, sixteen year olds. Um, for whom, you know, they really embraced it and, 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 and sort of took it as their own because there weren't that many films for teens at that time. There was no Twilight, there was no Hunger Games. And, that my, you know, my niece was 15 at the time and she said that her her, school, her classmates saw it about, you know, three or four times because it's they felt it was for them. Mm. So I think a lot of the people that are, <clears throat> you know, are coming to see the, the anniversary screenings, are people who are now in their mid-30s who were 15, 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, but even at the London Film Festival, there were people sort of in their 20s and early 30s who were who were working in music and media and sort of, you know, the emerging tech industries who who, who liked the sort of, the kind of, the counterculture, um, uh, the counterculture environment of it. I mean, and that was really what, to me, the film, you know, that's what I was projecting with the film, which was, this was, this was the new rock and roll for the sort of the next online generation and so that you know the soundtracks we had were, were sort of t- techno house dance soundtracks orbital massive attack left field underworld radiohead and you know those those acts had not been heard on on on, on movies before in fact we finished um we finished hackers before uh transporting started shooting and danny oh, thought Danny Boyle saw Hackers, and that's why he cast Johnny Lee Miller um, as Sick Boy in, in Trainspotting. So, um, uh, you know, it was people were sort of, you know, in, 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 the, in the industry at large and in America, in the press in America, were sort of bemused by, and also bemused by the presentation of the internet as this sort of, you know, cyberdelic world um, that was like a sort of an expressionist sort of techno fairy tale in New York, if you like. Uh, but a lot of people got that, and they weren't necessarily the you know the mainstream critics at the time, um, and uh, and you know because of that, and I was unaware until uh, the, this twentieth anniversary came around that there was quite so much, um, you know, there was quite such a sort of a, 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 a subculture following to it, and and then you know we had a screening in in New York. Last week, which I attended with Johnny Lee Miller and um, Fisher Stevens, and you know f- about four of the other cast members, and they all said whatever they've done in their career, the only they get stopped all the time, and they get they get you know uh, confronted with their hackers role, and uh, you know from Johnny to uh, to Matty Lillard who who was zero, that's all people talk to them about. Uh, Wendell Pierce, you know, who was in The Wire, who played, you know, the detective. Of course, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, he, he says the same thing. And they all, you know, because it was sort of the first big film for all of them. They view it with, you know, quite a lot of affection, which is which was nice to sort of have a get-together with them. But also we, we you know, what started as an idea to have one or two theatrical uh, anniversary screenings in maybe in, in, in maybe Los Angeles, New York, and London. In America, there's about 25 screenings. Across about, across about, you know, 15 cities. Uh, and, and we had the sellout screening at the Prince Charles Cinema last Sunday, 
um, which I did a Q&A at, and Picture House are now picking it up, and they're doing the screenings at the Ritzy late-night movies Friday, Saturday this week, and Friday, Saturday at the Hackney Empire, which I'll be doing another Q&A at next Friday. Um, and, 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 and interestingly, what's sort of grown off the back of that is the Picture House have asked me if they can do a 10th anniversary screening of the skeleton key at, at their new picture house central with Tim Roby from the, uh, who's the telegraph film critic uh, doing, doing the Q and a with me. That um, is exciting news. So that's on the, yeah, that's on the 2nd of November. Okay. And that'll be great. And all, all of these are screening off the 30, original 35 mil prints, which is fantastic as well because, it is, yeah. because the kind of lusciousness that you get from that is incredible. I think one of the things with hackers is that, I mean, I'm trying, I was trying to think when, before I spoke to you, I was trying to think of what the kind of, the kind of, Pitted history was of kind of where we tried to bring technology to the fore and make and, and almost make that like a kind of supporting cast member. And I, and I was thinking, you know, you think like obviously obvious things like war games, and then after your movie, you've got like the the, the, the Matrix and, and the way it goes, and they go into the computer. I think one of the great things about and, and one of the interesting things about the twenty year span is the term hackers as as a much more negative connotation in two thousand and fifteen. Because I think what you were talking about with your movie is that people were sort of living in cyberspace, as it were, and that was that made yeah. them a hacker, as opposed to they were trying to bring down capitalism, which if you look no. at Michael Mann's movie this year, Black Hat, which is all about how hackers are trying to break the world. Yeah. Whereas... No, it, was, it, was, it was, interestingly, though, Fisher Stevens told me that, that the anonymous guys kind of see it as a, you know, see it as sort of a, a talismanic film for them, but also the security community, the, the, the internet security uh, community. I, I did an interview with the newspaper in America, and they interviewed it was a very, very long article. They interviewed, you know, probably half a dozen security experts from, you know, the big multinational companies. Mm. There was even somebody from the Secret Service, and they all viewed the film with affection because actually, what the film was about was about the hackers identifying the criminals, the cyber criminals, okay. and, tracking them, and tracking them down. And that's what that's what hackers became. They were the people that were recruited. To a lot of the people that are in cybersecurity now, they're attackers. And, and, and you're right in saying that at the time, what the term meant was people that were sort of explorers, were sort of frontiersmen. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, were, yeah. they were, they were sort of, they were almost creating the, the internet as well. They were, they were trying, they were trying to sort of, they, they, they were, they were pioneering, um, and trailblazing what you could do and what you could connect and where you could go and how much was you know and and what and what the implications of it all were and it was a it was this internal world that they lived in in much the same way that you know people who were into sort of the popular cultural uh, rock and roll revolution in the, in, in the 60s was that it wasn't just you were listening to music you weren't just having a musical experience you were you were connecting to this to this to like-minded people so in your mind you were living in this sort of internal world of, you know, of sort of a new world order of, you know, listening to, you felt connected to people in San Francisco or, or New York or Liverpool or, or London. Um, and, and if it felt as though you were all speaking the same language that wasn't really understood by your parents' generation. Well, no, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, 1995 was my first brush with the internet. I remember I was working on summer camp in America and the boss whose camp it was had his computer connected to this thing called the internet, which I'd not touched at that point. And it was yeah. kind of surreal. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I always quote the Orange County Register, whose review, this, uh, is, it, th th this film so far-fetched, everybody knows that the internet's only going to be text on a screen. Um, so, you know, I think a lot, of the, a lot of the reaction to it was particularly with the sort of the, 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 sort of the, the stylized visualisation Hmm. Um, was that that they that they thought it was a a they weren't understanding that it was a sort of uh it, it wasn't that that aspect of it was was a was a metaphorical projection of what what it was like to be inside these kids' heads. Secondly, um, there were certain things that we uh, that we we sort of put forward as a kind of metaphorical projection, certain visualizations that have actually become you know come true, so that they 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 become reality and they're not. You know, they're not sort of metaphorical. That that the um, uh, you know this sort of the three dimensional graphics sort of uh, chat rooms or or sort of sites, certain you know certain sites and 
um, certain uh, certain kind of journeys that you can you know, online gaming on the internet that that kind of thing if you like um, is is uh, um, you know, it's a reality today. Whereas I was going to say, you, you wouldn't. You, the expectation of an audience now wouldn't allow that 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 freedom, would it, to to express it how you want? I suppose not. And in a way, you know, there are certain things in the screenings that we've had that you know people sort of uh, you know find find sort of affectionately amusing. You know, that you had to turn on your laptop and set it to receive the file and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and you know, and the and the dial up, you know, the how long it, you know the the, the dial up sound and everything, but. Um, you, you know, but I, I, I think in terms of like the social side of it, and the sort of the what, how it's become a sort of a cultural phenomenon, and the and it's become fetishized and visualized, and and has in many many ways become you know sort of like like an equivalent to the impact that rock and roll had when it when it first sort of became sort of cross cultural. Um, and, 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 and then some. I think more. I think more industrial revolution than rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I was sort of interested in the side of it. You know, that that when the music started to affect people, the way everybody dressed. You know, okay. that didn't affect the way newsreaders dressed in America. Hmm. Whereas the you know what the Beatles did, um, and what the Stones did was they changed the sort of the landscape. They changed the visual landscape of the real world by their, you know, by their sort of art direction. If you like, or, or they collaborate okay. stuff. Like okay. okay, you know that that what became you know album art, for example, influenced um, you know influenced sort of graphics beyond music. It influenced book covers. It influenced you know advertising posters. Uh, it inf- influenced fashion. Um, it, it, it influenced how, you know how people spoke, how how several straight people spoke. You know um, that 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 sort of. Uh, you know, you wouldn't have heard, um, um, you wouldn't have heard, you know, that th- there wasn't that, that never, ha- that didn't happen until that, until the, the sort of the, the early 60s and the way that, that, that rock and roll music, pop music, and, and the mixture of both sort of changed, changed, changed the cultural landscape way beyond music. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I mean, in, in, a, in a real crass way, the very fact that my, my 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 mother will 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 use things like LOL, which is kind of you know these are these are things that have really born out of technology and our and the way young people have interacted with it, but now have just become normal. You'll see them on Fox News, yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's no irony attached to it anymore. It's just yeah. It's just I mean, yeah, the phrase the phrase being into something. I mean that that was originally about the fact that you know particularly sort of progressive rock, you needed to listen to things two or three or four times before you got into them. <laughs> You know, so people say, "Are you into it yet?" And, that, and then that became like part of common parlance for, you know, he's not really into Chinese restaurants. You know, and, and it just became, it didn't become, it, it, it grew out, it grew way beyond its specific original usage. Wow. Now, just finally, then, just briefly, we'll, we'll touch on. You say you're doing Skeleton Key as well in, in yeah. November. So <laughs> what? I mean, that's that's one of my, one of my favourite. I mean. I've, I was lucky enough to go to New Orleans last last year for the horror festival there, right. uh, and it's a great place. Um, yeah. What what is it? What is it about? What is the lasting appeal? Do you think of? I mean, and obviously to show it at the Picture House in the Central, which is a, it's almost like a new period. It's got a new period element to it. It's a beautiful building inside now for anyone yes. that's not visited yeah. yet, and it'd be a yeah. great location to see to see Skeleton Key. Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, I I was always you know. Um, it actually did pretty well in America. It was, I think it was number one or number two, <clears throat> the box office in America. Um, it came out sort of, uh, you know, when quite right in the UK, when quite rightly sort of, you know, everybody was more concerned with much more important things than a film, which was the 7-7 bombings. It actually came out that weekend. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, so it it, 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 came out in the summer. There's a lot of debate as to whether the summer's a good or a bad time in the UK. It's, it's always seen as a good time in the US, but it, I think the jury's out about it. And, you know, for, for whatever reason, um, it, it, it wasn't sort of, um, it, it, it was, I guess it was seen as a genre film, which, which on one level it is, but it was the sort of film that you probably couldn't make today because it had a sort of a mainstream American studio budget. Um, and I, you know, the sort of, the, the, the films I was aspiring to when I made it were, were, were films like Rosemary's Baby. 
Mm. Um, and you know, and, and it was written by Aaron Krug. It was a you know very intelligent script and and w- with a very very good cast. I mean, I think Kate Hudson thinks it's one of her best roles, and um, Jenna Rowlands, John Hurt, Peter Peter Sarsgaard, um, and Joy Bryant. It it, it um, uh, and, and it was a very clever story as well. Um, that I think had more resonance in America because there was what, what it appeared to be, um, you know, was a story of a, of a, of a possession, but it did have a sort of a, a, a sort of a civil, if you like a civil rights under, undercurrent to it, which was picked up. It was actually picked up, I think, in some of the reviews over here as well. Um, so it had, a, it did have an appeal to the African American population in, in, in America as well. Um, and, um, but to me, it was a film that I was really, certainly as a Hollywood film, it was a film where I was, I was able to sort of use cinematic sort of, uh, tools, um, you know, to the extent probably that, that, that I hadn't before or since, because it was a story, it's a story that was really told through the, through the camera. And through the sets, and through the music, and through the and through the sound and the atmosphere, because a lot of the time you're dealing with the world inside Kay Hudson's head and what her fears are, and what she's thinking, and her quest. Um, and there's a lot of the film where we're alone with her, so we're living in that world with her. So the way, so that what takes the place of dialogue um, is is the sort of the move the movement of the camera, the framing. The design, the, the colors, the sound, the music. Uh, and, and, and that was very, very, very satisfying to be given the chance to sort of evoke the spirit and the sound and the feel of a place. Um, which is sort of what I, what I set out to do with that, with, with that film. Plus the fact that, you know, I think it has a, which is very difficult to find in scripts, it had a genuine sort of uh, unexpected reverse in the story right at the end. Oh, no, I, th- I think in, in, in writing terms, it's kind of, it's got, it's, it's a re- genuinely scary, unreliable narrator that takes you right to the end before it, before it lets you go. And, yeah. when it, and when it lets you go, it's not like, yippee, it's like, oh, my God, you know. I think going back to your comments about, sort of civil rights and stuff, I can definitely see that because it's almost like somebody's written a script here which is to say, you might well have forgotten all your evil deeds. Yeah, what, yeah. What, what, what about if we believe in the supernatural and then you're going to be haunted by your evil forever and ever, which clearly America is in very different ways, but this film kind yeah. of tackles it in a very kind of specific way, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was very satisfying from that, from, from that point of view. And... Uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those films that probably has lived on, you know, sort of through through, through DVD and television because mm-hmm. you know I do meet a lot of people that, that that saw it that way. But I think it's going to be great to see it in the cinema because the score, which was, you know, by my sort of you know a guy who's done a lot of films with me, Ed Shearer, mm-hmm. is a great score. But also there's some great sort of contemporary. New Orleans music where we sort of mix DJ, so we got DJ mixes of blues and Delta music. Um, but also the cinematography, um, Dan Mindel, who, um, who actually recommended to, um, JJ Abrams producer. Uh, and Dan has worked with, um, JJ Abrams ever, ever since. Um, you're a great, great cinematographer. Um, and we, you know, we were able to, Shoot anamorphic, um, and, 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 and as I said, really to sort of, really to sort of approach it from a cinematic point of view. Um, you know, which you need, you need resources sometimes to do that in that, in that, if you're trying to do something with scale, particularly. Um, so I, I was, you know, it's, it's a, it's a film that I'm very, I'm very, very fond of. Um, well, no, I, I, I mean, I'm one of the people that came to it on DVD, so I'm very excited to be able to see it on the big screen. Yeah, um, there's 2nd of November, Picture House, uh, we'll, we'll hope, hopefully uh, there'll be a, some kind of reunion there as well, it, 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 as happened with Hackers. As, you know, at Prince Charles last weekend, we had, you know, we had um, Chrissy Blundell, who was makeup 
artist who was, you know, since won Oscars, just, just did Legend. John, John Beard, the designer, he's done a lot of my films. Uh, Martin Walsh, the editor, um, he just did, edited Cinderella and, you know, won the Oscar for Chicago. Um, and it was just great to sort of, uh, Simon Boswell, composer, uh, it was, you know, great to sort of see, see people, um, coming together to see their work you know and i think i think it's 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 i've just been very lucky that i was going to say in a, in a world where we where the complaint is we've got too much choice the very fact that your work can still be 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 repeat viewings or new viewings for people discovering it now can still happen must be quite satisfying very satisfying for yourself as a film yeah, well, I, I mean i think that that, that that it's about you know if you if you one of the things i try to do with with both these films and all of the films um, is to make them sort of to the highest quality, um, and to get people who were really excellent in their, in their fields and who also had a, who, who were committed to, um, you know, to make things, you know, at a very high quality. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I think what, what sometimes happens is that, you know, there's a little bit of a, you know, with this sort of cost cutting culture that we're in, that well, most people won't notice the difference between really high quality and sort of an adequate quality. Uh, and I, I think that things have longevity if they're made with with the highest, you know, with the highest quality that that that, that you can put into them. I mean, another example is is Inkheart, which you know, which actually did pretty well commercially around the world, um, but wasn't sort of perceived as a as a, a as a hit because. Because it didn't, you know, there was there was nothing that was sort of okay. The flavor of the month that week, or the flavor of the month that that month. Yeah, that's it. But it had, you know, acting of the highest quality. You know, it's got Helen Mirren and Paul Bettany and Andy Serkis and Jim Broadbent and you know, and, uh, amongst others, fantastic cast. And that's the film of all of my films that is shown more. On television and DVD, probably than all of them put together, because really? okay. yeah, because I think that it because it's sort of in this in in, in a way there's a you, you know I might I'm I don't want to draw draw too many uh, conclusions and and these are just sort of these are just sort of you know instinctive thoughts, but yeah. certainly, certainly I think that if you make something that has that 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 you know to the best of your ability and that you're using people that are also doing things to the best of ability, that the, that the you know the the standard of the photography and the design and the acting um, is is of a high caliber. I think it's more likely that those films will survive and and, and uh, outside of the moment when they were originally released that they will have some kind of longevity. I mean that's uh, you know that that's because I think that what happens is the sort of the the you know, the bits that where you papered over the cracks are more evident outside of the time. You know, you look back and think, oh, you know, wh- why on earth was it, did it seem that that sort of costume was a good idea or something? Whereas if, it, if something's kind of classically of a high quality, then I think it, I think it endures. I think it, um, uh, so, and, and, and also I was attracted to, you know, I was attracted to, you know, in the case of key particularly, Something where I thought this is a script that is is fresh, and a, and a, you know, and a story that is that that is compelling. Um, and I think there's the other thing that 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 lasts is sort of you know storytelling. Um, whereas you know it might be that if this if something sort of like to purely purely exists as an action film in ten years time, those effects will seem very dated. Mm. Whereas a good story is a good story. I was about to say. I was about to say. I'd say the idea of, of of you as a picking picking good stories, which can be any genre whatsoever, is where is where the sort of beating heart of all good films start, aren't they? Really, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Ian. Um, thank you very much for your time. You've been very generous talking about the, the number of films there, not just your, your latest one, and uh, and uh, good luck. Good luck with with where 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 Curve sort of ends its road, as it were. Um, Pun intended, and um, <laughs> not my best one. And uh, and with the the screenings of hackers, and uh, and from a personal point of view, I'm very excited to uh, to see uh, Skeleton Key, and I'm glad I live in London right now, so I can see yeah. on the big screen. Um, so yeah, so only just me to say thank you very much. That's uh, my pleasure. Thank you.
If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.